Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Milestone McKinney. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here, and I am grateful that you've joined us, just like Alex said. We know each and every week it's someone's first time. That's a big deal to us. And so if this is your first time and I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. Well, we are wrapping up our series called Let's Talk Family. I know this has been an incredible time. I know for Wendy and myself, uh, for many uh, different individuals and couples that we've had an opportunity to talk to, just how impactful this has been to all of us. And you may be wondering, even if this is your first time, even though we're at the end of the series, you may be wondering, why do a series on family? Well, it's not just simply doing a series on family because it's a good topic. We're talking about family because it's really so important to God. When you look throughout God's word, the major theme throughout this word is family. It starts with family. In fact, when God began, he began with family. It's about family. As you look through the word of God, there's so much language. It's familial language. It ties into family and connects us to understanding what family is, and it's a major theme. You see, understanding God's perspective on family helps us know God in a greater way, and it helps us start to understand what and how God prioritizes family. It's so significant. It's important. And, and the truth is, every time we as a family move towards God's heart for family, we begin to understand a greater measure of his heart for us. Now, as you read through God's word, and even as you look within this room, and you may look across uh, different families here, there's no perfect family. We all have our stuff. We all have things. If you read through this word, I promise you, you'll feel real good about your family because you read some stuff in here. It's crazy now, okay? You're like, they did what? They making a mini-series about that? I don't know. I mean, I promise you, there's some stuff in here that doesn't hold up to some of the stuff some folk are watching on Netflix and Paramount Plus and all that other kind of stuff, okay? I mean, there are all sorts of families in the word of God, and there's no perfect family. But... What I know is there is hope as we move towards knowing God's heart for family and what that looks like and how we discover what it is that we do within the context of family. And today what I want to do is we're kind of wrapping up the series. I really specifically want to talk about the marriage relationships. Now, I know for some of us in here, you may be single, you're a young person in here, you're not married, maybe you're a young adult, you're hoping to get married, perhaps you're single again, okay, and you find yourself in this season that either, one, you're not married yet, or you find yourself in a season where you're single again, and you're going, how did I end up here? But I want to I encourage you, don't check out as we're talking about the context of marriage because there's principles within what we're going to talk about today when it comes to marriage and when it comes to relationships. They're going to set you up for your future. And there are principles that even outside of the context of the relationship of marriage can help you in your relationship with God and in your relationship with others. You see, what I want to talk about today is, is I want to look at this aspect, this perspective, this principle that really permeates every relationship, and it's how love impacts our relationships, how love specifically impacts our marriage. You see, what I know about everyone in this room is that we all want to be loved. We all want to be loved. We all want to know love. We all want to experience love. And 
It's a central theme within God's word, the aspect of what his word says about love and how it impacts our life. In fact, here's what God's word says about love in Proverbs 19, verse 22. It says, what a person desires is unfailing love. There's lots of characteristics about God, but this aspect about God, God being love, is probably one of the most prominent aspects and characteristics about God. Every person, right here, we recognize every person desires to be loved. And in fact, because every one of us longs to be loved, here's what can happen, though. Is we can all potentially fall into the temptation, the opportunity to fill that love with someone or something else. Only God can fill that love. Only God can fill that context. But yet, because we long for it, that's where that desire comes from. So you find yourself in a position or a place where you're trying to find love in all the wrong places. Sounds like a good song, right? And, and, and you find yourself that it's because we have a tendency to that. Why? Because there's a longing inside of you for that love. But it's a love that only God can provide. And so when you look at those things and when you recognize things, maybe even as you hear me talking, you can recognize, I can see where the desire for love, maybe it's gotten a little bit out of alignment. You ever, you know, you, you think about alignment, you think about adjustments, you know, you, you think about those things. It's important because very rarely, unless there's intentionality, we don't move towards growth. We don't move towards alignment. We naturally, it's called entropy, you, it, the metric that measures how most things will move towards chaos. And, and unattended to, they will continue to move towards chaos in an increasing way. So, so how does that begin to happen? I mean, I, I think about my own life. I think about, you know, just the context of my own life. I was kind of reminded of this. Maybe you were reminded as well. I don't know about you, but I was outside early in the morning yesterday, and it was hot and slightly humid, and I was sweating like crazy. And then I walked out the house, and we were headed somewhere. It was about seven-ish or so, and I'm like, I need a jacket. It's like cold outside. Now, here's the thing. Some of you, you are, you're like a built-in meteorologist. You already knew it was going to get cold, right? Your knees start hurting. You're like, what is that? You know, you, I'm, I mean, I'm getting to that place, you know. It's kind of like I start feeling stuff, you know, and I start like, you know, I'm like walking around. I'm like, babe, this is a brand-new house. Like, it's not an old house. What's creaking? Oh, it's me. I'm like, what's happening, you know? I sound like an old house when I get up and I start moving, and I'm reminded of this every morning when I go and work out. I, I've told you before, I, I like to work out. I like to exercise. And You know, I remember the days, you know, when you'd kind of go to the gym and you had that two-hour, like, bro sesh. You know, just, just pumping iron, just slinging weight around for two hours. You're like, you know, yeah, baby, heading to the gym, just clock in, clock out. And like, well, I still have those two-hour gym sessions. But here's what I've learned as I've gotten older. It's about an hour to an hour 15 of just like mobility. I got to stretch. I got to roll out my back. And I got to like, I, I mean, I'm more like a crock pot, right? You know, I got to warm up a little bit, slow cooker, right? Like I just can't just hop in there like I used to, you know? And I start, babe, my back's a little tight. What is that? What's, what's going on? You know? And I'm realizing, you know, if you, if you study like exercise and mobility, it's, it's really it's, my back's not hurt. It's like my legs are tight. My hamstrings are tight. I'm like, I got to stretch. I'm like, man, I best get down there. But here's the thing. I get down there, I may not get back up what's going like what's gonna happen right and and you start realizing and just like in your own body 
the older you get, you got to be a little more intentional to make sure you stay flexible. Because the older you get, the less flexible you are. Can I tell you, the same applies in your marriage. The older you get, and the longer you're married, and the longer you're together, you get a little less flexible. You're a little more stiff. You're, you're a little harder to kind of bend and, and move the other direction and, and see and hear where your spouse might be coming from. So unless you're really intentional about some mobility and working those things out, you're going to naturally move towards being stiff, which means you're going to naturally move towards chaos. You have to be intentional to move the other direction, to grow together, to stay flexible, to understand where the other person is coming from. You see, there's all sorts of challenges that we experience in marriage. Wendy and I have walked with people for over 20 years, lots of marriage counseling, lots of conversations. And, and just to be clear, there are times where we've walked with people and you have been impacted, people have been impacted in their marriage by what, what I like to call the big three. And it's painful and it's challenging, but, but oftentimes these, these, these three tend to be so disruptive. It, it's adultery. It's addiction. Okay? It, it's it's the, the abuse verbally or sometimes physically that shatters a relationship and shatters a marriage. And there are those who have experienced that. And so they're no longer married or their, their marriages, have uh, they've, they've ended in divorce and, and there's a fracture and there's pain. And some of you have experienced that and it's very real. And so I'm not minimizing that whatsoever because the pain and the fracture of divorce is so harmful. God hates divorce, not because he hates the person, he hates what it does. And if you've experienced divorce in your life, you know what I'm talking about. The pain and the impact it's had on you and the pain and impact it's had on your children if there were children within the marriage. But I want to talk to what I think is more of a broad picture to I think what impacts really the vast majority of people. Even if you've experienced those three things, I, I think it impacts all of us. Because as we sit down with couples and we dialogue and we help people navigate the challenges of marriage that we all have, here are some of the phrases that we tend to hear. And here's the thing about these phrases. They're very subtle. But what they do, what we don't realize is these phrases, they lead to thoughts, they lead to patterns, they lead to perspectives. And in the midst of that, naturally push us towards that chaos and that separation. It's phrases like this. We just grew apart. We grew apart. Like, I don't know what happened. I just woke up one day, and she was over there, and I was over here. Or, or this one, perhaps, you've heard. Well, I just, I fell out of love. I mean, I fell into it, but it was kind of like I was on a cliff, and all of a sudden, I just, I fell out of it. I fell out of love. I, I, I'm just, I'm not there anymore. I, I'm not sure what happened. Or maybe the thought is, it shouldn't be this hard. Can I tell you, marriage is the hardest thing you will ever do, but it's the most rewarding. Second hardest thing you'll ever do is be a parent, but it's the second most rewarding. It is work, but we go, hey, and, and I'm telling you, these are things that Wendy and I will hear as we're helping people navigate challenges because you're trying to rationalize. We're trying to rationalize when we're in the midst of challenges, how did I end up here? How did I just get to this place? 
Maybe this is another one that, that you've heard. I know Wendy and I have heard this. You just don't make me happy anymore. You don't make me happy anymore. You used to make me happy. But you don't make me happy anymore. And, and, and here's the biggest one that all of it kind of, all these kind of tie to this one thought. And this is one that we hear often when people really are at the place, like, I just don't know what else to do. I don't know how to make sense of where I'm at and what's going on. It's I love you, but I'm not in love with you. I, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. You see, we live in the context of a cultural narrative where nowadays, when we're in the midst of needing something to try and rationalize and make sense of this, it's amazing how because of the access we have with technology, we'll turn to things or turn to people who really have built nothing but are trying to make sense of the things that they're feeling. I was reminded of this as I, as I saw this this blog, this article, I took a snippet from this, this blog off of, uh, it, it really kind of comes, there was a kind of uh, familiar and famous kind of movie a few years back called P.S. I Love You. There's a blog, P.S. I Love You blog. Maybe some of you have heard of it, you know, I don't know, but people get on there and they write. And this particular excerpt was actually really well written. Right? I mean, just the way in which it paints this picture. Because that's what we're looking for. The cultural narrative is what do you feel? What's the picture? What's the idea in your mind of what it looks like? And you have this romanticized cultural picture of what love looks like. Because love within our culture is a feeling. What do I feel? And so here's what this individual wrote. Said, the sun was sinking Behind the hills of Gozo, a tiny island off of Malta. Pink climbing flowers clung to the dusty stone walls. I mean, are you there? You see it? I mean, this is nice. The air was salty and tinged with blossom. I mean, that's, that's some wordsmith right there. I mean, I, I'm there. I'm in Malta right now. It should have been magical, but it was hell. I looked at my partner who was squinting through his glasses into the sunset. And in that moment, I was repelled by everything about him. He wasn't manly enough. His hair was fluffy like a baby owl. He was too quiet and too reserved. The list went on. And he looked at me and said, you're looking at me strangely. Is everything okay? What? No. I lied. Everything is fine. You think, well, Chris, what's the point? Well, you, you think about that. And, and you're still trying to get over, I know some of you, you men in here, you're, you're like, fluffy like a baby, is that me? Your spouse like, babe, it's, it's time to get a haircut, you know, we need, we need to tighten up that, you know, that, that hairdo. But what I realize when you look at this blog and you look at this excerpt and you look at all these thoughts, it's all centered around what am I looking for? Because when you look at this, it's ten ways to shake things up. Ten ways to turn the boat around and how do we make it happen? But all the ideology and all the thoughts are centered around what am I looking for and what do I want and what do I like and what do I need and what begins to happen is it moves us towards that separation that we don't want in our life, in our marriage, and in our relationship. And we end up, as we take one step closer to being dissatisfied with our spouse. And we start thinking things like this. Well, it'll just be easier if I, if I leave him. Well, 
where you're at may not be easy, but I promise you, you leaving is not going to be easier. Because again, if you've ever been on the other side of divorce and fractured relationship, there's nothing but pain. There's nothing but pain and destruction and the way that it impacts our lives. You, you think things like this, well, all is fair and love and war. Nothing is fair about love and war. Fair is only found in the justice of God. When you look at divorce rates and divorce filings, typically the most common phrase is irreconcilable differences. That wasn't even a term. That wasn't even a phrase. It wasn't even a thought until 1970 when no-fault divorce laws were passed. It basically said, you don't have to present any reason why this separation needs to happen. And for the first time, divorce was on the rise and was more than 50%. But now we've learned to soften the blow. Because now we use phrases like conscious uncoupling. I remember when I read that, I'm like, conscious uncoupling. Like, I'm feeling good about, like, it's better for us to just separate and go our separate ways. It's better for everyone if we just end this. It's not better. It's not better. You're in the midst, and I know as I've been praying for you, some of you, you're in the midst of really challenging situations in your marriage right now. But there is a better way than just throwing in the towel. You don't have to quit. It's going to be hard. It's going to be work. And I'm going to give you some practical things to help you with that. But I want to look first to God's word in 1 Corinthians 13. These are the words of Paul. Because what does God's word say about this? This section of scripture is the longest uh, conversation, longest piece of text centered around biblical love. Now, many of us may be familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, and, and maybe you've been at a wedding or two, and you've heard it. I know there have been plenty of weddings that I've officiated and used 1 Corinthians 13. But in our cultural context, love is a feeling. What do I feel? How do I feel? It's subjective, and that's why it's so fractured. But when we look at the words of Paul, it's not subjective. It's very objective. There's action to it. In fact, when you look at what love is, he actually gives a list of verbs. Things that we can do. Things that we can actually put steps towards. And he starts right off the bat with action. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud and it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I want you to know that even in the midst of what you're going through right now in your marriage and in your relationship, it may be challenging and hard. But when God's love is in it, when you are pursuing God's love, there is always hope and it never fails because he will never fail you. Love never fails. But when you start looking at this list... This is, this is a bunch of action that I got to, I start looking, and even for me, I've prayed this, I've read this, I've 
taught this, I've used this in weddings over and over, but stopping a minute and going, okay, there's a call to action here. Some of you are in business. You understand marketing, online marketing, the most important thing is, hey, what's the call to action? How is there a clear call to action on my landing page, on my website? Marketing 101. Call to act. Paul is going, call to action. And you start looking through this, and I start going, man, love is patient. Well, let's start there. i got to work on that. I'm not very patient. Where and how can I be patient, and how can I grow? Love is kind. It's not proud. It does not boast. You see, he's calling us to action. Love is a verb. It's not a feeling. There's an action to it. It's not subjective. It's intentional. And if I'm not intentional about showing love to my spouse, I'm going to naturally move towards chaos and separation. I've got to put an effort to it. And when you look in God's word, there's really three kinds of love that you find in the Bible. First is phileos love. Phileo is a friendship or family love. It's devotion. There's eros, which is physical or sexual love. In 1 Corinthians 7 and Hebrews 13, it talks about this type of love in the context of marriage and a marriage relationship. But then there's agape love. The highest form of love. Not, and, and here's as I was studying this, here's what I realized. Is this kind of love is not found outside of the New Testament. Why? Because when Jesus came, when God gave his son, then Jesus walked this earth, and then Jesus gave his life. It was the expression and the entrance of this agape, unconditional love. It's God's love. Loving unconditionally. That's a verb. And I ask people, what is unconditional love? People oftentimes describe it. Well, it's loving without conditions. Well, how do you define it? The definition is loving, expecting nothing in return. You see, oftentimes we do love. Even myself, I look and realize, I'm loving, but I'm expecting some reciprocity. No, 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 no. Loving, expecting nothing in return. Well, I would love them that way if they... No, no, no. That's not what God's Word says. That's not what His Word says. But see, when I'm wrapped up in the cultural narrative, love is a feeling. Well, I just don't feel like it because they didn't do X, Y, and Z. No, no, no. God's Word says you love expecting nothing in return. That's what it begins to look like. And so when we recognize that and we see that, why is that so significant? Because that love is ultimately rooted in God's love for us. You see, a strong connection with our spouse first requires a strong connection with God. It's a strong connection. I can't give what I don't have. I'm only able to love Wendy the way she needs to be loved if I'm willing to receive that love from God. And then in turn, I'm able to express that love to her. We all experience these things. So the question then becomes, well, how do I grow together rather than growing apart? We all have those moments. In marriage, can I tell you, as I said earlier, it is hard. It is work. Marriage is the single most sanctifying relationship that you will ever be in. I mean, it shows us our need for God. I mean, you think about iron sharpens iron. Now, when we hear that, you know, man, we like to, I'm part of the iron sharpens iron Bible study. You know, like that sounds real tough for man. But like, can I tell you? 20 years, this coming Thursday, celebrating 20 years of wedded bliss with my Cajun queen right there. Yeah, baby. Lots of iron sharpening iron. Can I tell you, first couple years, lots of sparks flying. And it wasn't all romantic. 
It was iron and sharpened iron. I'm coming at her. She's coming at me. But it made us better as we worked through things. As we talked about it, it makes us better. You begin to recognize and see and work through it. And you have conversation. You believe the best. And you keep going, no, no, no. I'm not going to let us just keep moving towards chaos. We're going to keep pushing in. And we're going to grow together. So how do we do that? I want to make it very practical for you over the next few minutes. Things that I've learned, that Wendy and I have learned in our own marriage because of things we did well, things we didn't do well. Things that we learned along the way. And can I tell you, things that we learned because of pastors in our life. I've got, I mean, I'm, I don't just have one pastor. I've got three pastors in my life that will call me or that I'll call. That's how much work I need. I mean, I'm that much like, just kind of like I'm a mess. Like, but what are they doing? They're encouraging me. They're holding me accountable. They're helping me see things I don't see. They're asking me. I can remember one time sitting down with my pastor when I was in Louisiana. said, Chris, how's Wendy doing? Good, good. She's, she's great. How are y'all doing? Good, great. He just sat back, you know, and he had, he had glasses. He had these big old brown eyes. I mean, they're like solid brown. So it looked like looking at a great white shark. You know, you ever seen a great white shark? And like, I always knew, here it comes. He, he, get, he had this little move. Like, he'd do this little number. I'm like, here it comes. He's like, Chris, he just kind of folded down and leaned back. He goes, every time I ask you how you and Wendy are doing, it's fine. Great. We're doing great. He said, I've been married at that time. He's like, I've been married 23 years, and he's like, I mean, I've been married a long time, and it's not always great. So that tells me one of two things, Chris. Either you're prideful or you're perfect. Which one is it? Oh, God, I'm prideful. You're right. I don't get But here's what I realized in that moment. I thought, well, if I just watch what these great men that I have in my life are doing and emulate what they're doing, that's the right thing to do. You want to know what the revelation was in that moment? The revelation wasn't that I was prideful. I knew I was prideful. I was keenly aware. And when I forgot, Wendy reminded me, okay? I was, here's what I realized in that moment. The right thing to do to help me to learn how to grow together with Wendy. At that point, we probably married seven or eight years. Was not to just see what other people are doing and emulate it. Get on YouTube and figure out, oh, how do I work out my marriage? YouTube may help you fix a door handle or a sprinkler. It's not going to help you with your marriage. You need someone in your life. And what I realized is what I needed in my life was to raise my hand and go, help. It ain't all great. Now, it's not necessarily a dumpster fire, but I need some help because we've been going at each other over and over and over. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, that happened, you know, we're kind of out of the five years marriage. We've been married 10, 15, 20. Can I tell you, we still need, there's times where we still don't see eye to eye. Pastor Jeff, hey, here's it, you know. She's like, well, I'm going to talk to Brandy, get her perspective. I'll talk to Pastor Jeff and all that, you know. And you're all, of course, naturally, like, Pastor Jeff going to be on my side. I, there was another time. I'm like, Wendy, that's not it. You're not seeing it right. I'm calling Pastor you. You called Pastor He didn't. I'm calling Pastor Jake. He didn't. So I talked to Pastor Jake. I'm thinking Pastor Jake. He's like, look at, listen to what Wendy did. This was, I'm thinking he's going to be like, you're right, Pastor Chris. You go home and you tell her if she doesn't, like, understand and agree, just let me know and we'll help you all out. He goes, man of God, you need to go home, get down on your knee, and repent for being so prideful and arrogant. I'm like, what? But you know what I did? I went home, got down on my knee. I said, baby, I repent. I'm sorry. He helped me see what I didn't see. Sometimes the best thing we need is someone in our life to help us see what we do not see. So here's what I want to do. Now I just went off course, and I got to get back. I'm going to do this real quick, okay? It's going to be a Y'all watch a modern-day miracle here. Just maybe, maybe not. 
as I, I want to give you some practical things. How do we grow together instead of growing apart? Here's the first thing. Because we're all going to move towards entropy if not careful. But we don't have to. We can be intentional to stay flexible, have good mobility, and grow in our marriages. Well, I'm going to give you a little kind of chart to help you see the contrast between the two. You see, growing apart says this. I don't feel the love. But growing together says God is love. You see, growing apart will say, I don't feel the love. It, I, it, you, don't, you don't make me feel whole anymore. And, and, and love is a feeling. I deserve to be happy. Wait, wait. No, no, no. Stop. 1 John 4.16 says this. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is Love And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. You see, what we have to recognize, God meets our greatest needs. Sometimes the biggest challenge and friction you have in your marriage is you're looking to your spouse to meet a need only God can meet. I do my best to be a great husband, but I make a terrible God. Just ask Wendy. I can't meet her deepest need. And sometimes the friction that you have is you're looking to your spouse to meet a need that only Jesus can meet. And what I want you to know, on a side note, you got to recognize this, is that even the things that you're bringing up to your spouse that may be right and true, babe, I wish you were a little more patient. I wish you were a little kinder. I wish you, would, uh, you were understanding. I wish you were a little more encouraging. I wish you led the family more. Whatever it may be, whether it's you're speaking that to your husband or your wife, whatever it may be, if not careful, even though those things are true, right and valid, if they're motivated by an insecurity and a void in your life that Jesus has not met, it'll be projected and it'll translate. And you'll wonder, why do they never meet my need? Why do they never meet my need? Why do they never meet my need? Only God can meet your need. You see, this is how we know what love is. 1 John 3, 16, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, we're all looking to know. We want to know, don't you? You want to know what love is. I want to know what love is. Right? What's the next line? I want you to. Oh, man. Y'all, come on. I want you to show me. I mean, I felt like I need to be on my knees. Like, just... You got to put some action to it. We all want to know what love is. Show it. God is love. That's going to help you grow together. You're going to grow apart, though, if it's. Well, you know, I don't feel it anymore. It's not a feeling. It's an action. Here's the next one. Growing apart, moving apart is you don't get me. You don't get me. They don't get it anymore. They don't know, you know. It's like we'll sit down with couples and like, okay, what's the challenge? What are y'all walking through? Well, he never takes me on a date. Okay, let me tell you what the men are hearing. All they heard was never. And at that point, they start going to lawyer mode. And they're like, well, what about that time that we went to this and we did that? I mean, just last week, I, we went and had, did it. And you know what it turns into? It's like, blah, 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 and now you're arguing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Back. You're not going to get anywhere like that. Can I tell you, I'm not really actually, when we do marriage counseling, it's like, they don't get me. I'm not actually not that smart. I really am not. You know what I do? I listen to one. I listen to the other, and all I do is when I listen to this one, I just repeat what they just said to that person. And you know what that person does? That's amazing. You're right. Awesome. I'm like, 
that's what they just said. What are you doing? And then I do the same thing back. I, all I do, I'm just like a talking puppet. I just repeat what I hear the other person say. I'm really not that bright. We fight and argue, and we end up in this argument. They don't Now, husbands, you may find yourself at that place, and you're wondering, it shouldn't be this hard. Why is it this complicated? I'm going to give you a phrase that's going to revolutionize your life. You ready? It's going to help you because she's going to say, you never take me on a date. And you're going to want to pull out your list and all the things on why and what you did to justify. And then you're going to argue. Just stop. Just be quiet a minute and do it. And it's going to take some self-control. But I'm going to help you. Are you ready? You're going to want to write this down, take a picture, tattoo it on your body somewhere. Just kidding. I don't know. Whatever. I want you to stop. And when you hear them say that, rather than leaning into defending yourself, you're going to go, tell me more. Because I want to seek to understand. Not position myself to defend. That's what happens. The problem is you're positioning yourself to defend yourself. No, no, help me to understand. That's a powerful phrase. You're going, I, but when you do that, you're saying, I believe in us. I want us to grow together. Here's the next one. Growing apart says, my needs, my goals. But growing together says, we can see our future. We can see our future. You see, verses... My success and my hobbies and my schedule and I want to do what I want to do. It's time out a minute. Hold on. What real success is what we're doing together. How we grow together. How we end up there together. You see, intimacy is a byproduct of shared purpose. What's the vision for your family? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to go? Because when you have vision, it builds values. Those values now dictate your actions. I have more vision for where we're going, Wendy and my family, than I do for Milestone McKinney. Make no mistake, I have vision for where we're going. But I have more vision for this than for this. You want to know why? Because I'm thinking about, and and look, our youngest will be eight in July. Which means in ten years, we're going to be empty nesters. I'm thinking about what's it going to be like. Okay, now Wendy, she's she going to need Kleenex now because I just like, oh, we're going to be empty nesters in 10 years. Like, hold up, what? Just bloop, all right. Now, we may not have it all figured out today what it's going to look like in 10 years, but you know what we're doing? We're having conversations and we're dialoguing. Where do we see ourselves together? We're not just going to magically end up somewhere we want to be in 10 years. It's going to be intentionality of conversations because there's vision. Here's the next one. Here's the next, this is a big one. Because this is more prevalent, really, honestly, in Christians more than ever before and more than it should be. You offend me. That, I promise you, is going to have you grow apart. Versus, we tackle offenses right away. That word offense in the Greek is the word scandalon, which means trap. You go, no, 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 instead of falling for that trap and like, I can't believe you said that. Why would you do that? And how come that, you know, and taking it. Listen, you are a person. And you have feelings and emotions. But sometimes we take things so personal and we interpret and magnify what someone said or didn't say, did or didn't do. And we allow it to have a greater impact on us, which really is more of a byproduct of probably a wound inside of us that needs a little bit of healing. 
It's not that it's not an issue. It's not that it doesn't need to be talked about. It's not that it doesn't need to be resolved or addressed. But the magnitude, if you were to take a scale of 1 to 10, instead of it being a 3 or a 4, is an 8 or a 9. Because it's probably a byproduct of a wound inside of you that needs healing. And the only way you're going to work through that is actually dialoguing with the very person you're offended at, which is your spouse, that you're mad at. So you're going to have to go, okay, we're going to fight to be a healthy family. We're going to fight for unity. So we're going to dialogue about this. This and we're going to work through it. Help me understand. I apologize. I repent. I didn't mean to say that. Forgive me for coming across that way because it now becomes a bridge for you helping your spouse work through the area in their life that they need the greatest measure of healing. So if you're going to say you offend me, you're going to just start moving towards being apart. But if you work towards, hold on, we're going to work through these things together. We're going to tackle it together. You're going to grow together. Here's the next one. You don't see me. You don't see me. I feel undervalued. Love me for me. The fire has gone out. Where did you go? Like you're just like, come on. At a certain point, you're going to go, I'm just missing the mark. What what do I need to do? You're going to grow apart, but here's how you grow together. You're my standard of beauty. You're who I prefer. You're who I love. I don't just feel it. I'm going to show it. I'm going to put action. Love is a verb. I'm going to put action to my words. I've told you before, my love language is words. I'm like, babe, I love you. I love you. You're amazing. I love you. I love you. And, you know, she'd be like, I feel like you just don't love me. I literally said I love you a hundred times in like last ten minutes. You just don't love me. I got to put action to it. I got to put action to it. And you stop looking at all the idiosyncrasies that kind of aggravate you about your spouse. I've been very transparent. Wendy, she's, she, got, she got piles in my house. I don't like piles in my house. Get rid of the piles. Now, she's better than she has been. But can I tell you, she probably just going to always have piles. I got to get over it. The van, like my kids, I'm, Dad, why do we always drive in your car whenever we're together? You don't go in the van. For our marriage. (laughs) If I open that van door, what I'm about to see is going to turn me, I don't like a closet worth of clothes in there. I don't like, why do we get trash and wrappers and things? I did get in trouble a little bit. She said, you can say all that stuff, but I do not have cups that are half drunk with dirty, you know, water or whatever. And I said, well, you know, I said, take one for the team. We just kind of, you know. (laughs) It's going to be, her van just going to be messy. But you're a mom. You got little kids. She didn't leave the clothes in there. Those kids left it. But then I'm like, well, get the kids. But but at the end of the day, what am I going to win? I mean, I love her. You're my standard, boo. All your piles and all. Now, you, we still can work on it, okay? Sanctification, it's a process. Till we meet Jesus, okay? We can grow. But I got things, too. 20 years of marriage. I mean, if I get, I, I like ice cream. I get ice cream, I get a glass bowl. She's like, I'm going to get you styrofoam bowls. I said, why? I said, because every time you're in there, I'm like, <laughs> she's like, I'll look up from eating ice cream. She's like, can you stop? Like, do you have to be so aggressive with the bowl? I'm like, I want that ice cream. Get out that bowl, get in my mouth. I don't know. Maybe I'll get better at clanking my bowls, but I doubt it. Now I'm going to be 75, no teeth, eating ice cream, just clank, clank, clank. 
Standard of beauty. Standard of beauty. Here's the next one. You don't do what you used to. They used to make me feel special, and now we're too busy. If they cared, they'd do more. I'm not that important. Work and your career and all those things are. But here's what's going to help you grow together. We schedule the meaningful moments. This is the one that probably, going back to pastors in my life, this is the one that Pastor Jeff has helped me the most with. Because I'm just naturally just go, 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 drag them along. And, you know, I checked the box. We had a vacation. We did this. We did that. But he helped me. He's like, hey, what's your weekly schedule? How are you connecting with Wendy? What are you doing? Now, I'm going to tell you practically kind of what I do. And it may translate to what you do in your life and your flow. But here's what I do. Wednesday at 930, I've got a one-hour meeting on my work calendar with her. And you know what we're talking about? We're talking about maybe the team, things that we need to do, whatever it may be. It may be our schedule, and then, okay, we need to get with Esther to help make sure we got all the things lined up and people we need to meet with, all these things. We know, like, I've got to, I'm scheduling it. Why? Because she's important and she's priority. Now, it's going to look a little different. Kids are out of school, but Friday is while the kids are in school. It's like date day. I go work out, go to the chiropractor, come home, 1030, pick her up, and we go eat tacos or look at antiques, okay? It's one of the two, or flowers, all right? But we're just hanging, and you may have like, oh, we got our date, date, but here's the thing. You see, if you're very taskless oriented, that translates to you, but what can happen is, and I recognize this in my own life, you can have the form and miss the heart. Because we'd have date day, but you know what I was doing? Date day, and we're, we're eating tacos, and there's a moment of opportunity, and I'm on the phone. I started realizing I got to. Turn it over. I got, I got to leave it in the car. I got to not even put it on the table. Because it's not about checking the box and having the form. It's the heart. It's not about the date day. It's not about the date time. It's not about a schedule on the calendar, which is good that you have it. It's about the intentionality and the connection in our relationship. If I'm going to grow together, I want to schedule those meaningful moments. And you do that on a weekly basis. Do that quarterly, little getaways. We do that annually in trips that we'll take annually, just her and I, once a year. I want to encourage you. You should have at least one trip away, just you and your spouse. Okay? Just get away, just y'all. Okay? With the kids, and the, they'll be fine. All right? I'm not saying I'll leave them at home by themselves, you know, but unless they're age appropriate, they'll be fine. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. The voices that you listen to in your life, okay? My friends tell me to leave. I promise you, you're going to move towards that. We listen to what lines up with God's word. You see, the voices in your life will either pull you away from or push you towards God's perspective on marriage and family. You want to prioritize God, the voices, the trusted voices God's put in your life to help you stay in alignment with those things. Because it's so easy to look up one day and realize we've moved towards chaos. And can I tell you, it doesn't just happen. You think, oh, well, we're past the first five years of marriage and it's so hard. I'm going to show you a couple of prayer requests, like things that we're praying for and families we're praying for right now that are in the middle of this type of season. Here's one. It says, my wife and I were walking through a tough season. We're separated at this time, and my prayer is that God will restore our soon-to-be 20-year marriage. That could be us. Soon-to-be 20-year marriage. I want to encourage you, reach out. This is their call. This is their cry for help. You may be in the same boat. Maybe you married five years, two years, 20 years, or 50 years. But I want to encourage you, commit to reaching out for help. 
you're tempted to feel like, I just want to quit. I want to throw in the towel. Here, here's, an, here's another one. Pray for my marriage. We're at the point that we both think there isn't any way back. We both feel the other is at fault. Please pray that God would change both our hearts, build back trust, and accept each other for who we are. God desires to heal.